This morning I'd like to begin by reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, starting in chapter 2, verse 18. I think I've typed Matthew 2 in my notes, and I'm almost positive it's Matthew 1. But now I've got to go look that up to make sure. But while I'm looking up whether it's Matthew 1 or 2, I invite you to stand for the reading. One eighteen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Gracious Lord, we are grateful for your word, and we pray that you will seal its message to our heart this morning. For we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, I spoke about the choices uh, that Mary made in the example that she was to us. Uh, Luke seems focused on the role Mary plays. Matthew, on the other hand, has a little more to say about the role that Joseph played in these events. If you read the story, you understand that Joseph is in a predicament. Engagement is very serious legally binding in the day that our story is, is recorded. When it is clear that Mary is pregnant, Joseph has some soul searching to do. These are the things that Joseph knows to be true. Joseph knows this, he's not the father. Joseph knows this, someone else is the father. Joseph knows this, no one has ever heard of a child being born without a human father. So he knows Mary has either been unfaithful or been misused. He knows this. This is not a fact that can be disputed in his mind. Anything Mary says to the contrary sounds exactly like an excuse. And here's what we know about Joseph. He's the kind of guy who wants to do the right thing. Putting Mary away privately is the kindest thing he can do. If he doesn't do this, Mary's reputation, which will already be destroyed by the broken engagement, will suffer even a worse fate. She could legally be stoned for being unfaithful to her fiance. But Joseph is kind and righteous, he wants to do the right thing. 
But knowing what the right thing is can be difficult. In Joseph's day, by the time that our story is written, stoning has largely been replaced with divorce. However, the divorce was not really optional in this day. To not divorce in this situation would be to say aloud to the community that Joseph loved Mary more than he loved God. That's how this community would look at that. That he was putting her above the law and God because the law required this. God's law demanded the divorce in the eyes of this community culturally at this time. And so Joseph plans to comply in the least public way possible to cause as little pain as possible because this is what his community expects to have happen. After all, this isn't just a matter of Mary's reputation. It's a matter of his reputation as well. If there's no divorce, some people will assume that he has been unrighteous as soon as Mary's pregnancy is known. Or worse, some may assume that Joseph's rights have been infringed upon by some other unknown perpetrator. Or maybe folks will just simply assume that Joseph is covering for Mary and for her impropriety and, and choosing to raise someone else's baby. There will always be doubts in the minds of the surrounding people. In what we do today, an asterisk by the name. There's, there was something unusual back then. Oh yes, that's the couple that couldn't wait for marriage, or, or that's the man who took on a child not his own, or, or you know how people rush to judgments. Will there be social consequences later in life? Will the couple be shunned, sort of kept at arm's distance? You know, you never get the chance to set the record straight about stuff like this because you don't really know what other people are thinking. You can't ever clear the slate. It's just better to avoid the whole messy situation. I mean, that must be what Joseph is thinking, right? Get out of this as quick as possible, as quietly as possible, and just get on with it. It's interesting to me that given the importance of this story, given the family dynamics, given all that we have, all that's been written, there is one thing we are never told in this story. And I think at some degree it reminds us how far removed we are from that culture in that day. I mean, 2,000 years have passed. We know culture has changed and things are different. And I think the fact that we don't get any word about this in the story serves to remind us how but large that distance is, we never really hear whether Joseph loves Mary or if Mary loves Joseph. Between them, love doesn't seem to enter the story between Mary and Joseph. But decency, keeping promises, kindness, responsibility, these things are all present. It's just that other thing that we seem to hang so much freight upon. 
seems to be absent. Joseph's responsibility is pretty clear. However, then the angel shows up. New information. These are the angel's words. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And Matthew tells us even more information, more that Joseph didn't have at the moment. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Somehow, and I can't imagine how, Joseph manages to crowd out all those other voices in his mind and listen to the voice of the angel. That's remarkable to me. I mean, you know how loud the voices of social pressure can be, right? I mean, there had to be a mother-in-law speaking into this situation, right? There had to be a mom and a dad of Mary and Joseph speaking into these situations. This didn't happen in a social vacuum. It wasn't just Mary and Joseph standing off by the side trying to figure out what to do. They're in a community and in a small community where everybody knows exactly what's going on all the time and everybody has an opinion about it. And somehow, Joseph crowds all those voices out and can hear what the angel says and is able to obey. It's remarkable to me. You know the rest of the story. The census the trip to Bethlehem, there's no room in the inn, the birth in the stable, the baby's in a manger. And then after the birth, Joseph names the boy. Just in case there is any doubt that Jesus is completely Joseph's son, Joseph, contrary to tradition, gives the boy the name that the angels tell him to bestow. So this is a name originating in heaven given by Joseph so that the heredity of the child won't be questioned, so that everyone will know that this child is a descendant of the throne of David, because that's who Joseph is. And when Joseph names Jesus, it's it, it, it means claiming him as my son, and this is his name, and he is the descendant of King David. And so the King of Kings is completely embraced by his father, Joseph. But the story goes on. Sometime later, wise men show up. And the true nature of what is going on crashes in on Joseph. I mean, I suspect that Joseph is something of a regular guy, that he had ordinary intentions, ordinary concerns. I would suspect that, you know, in his mind, he aspired to raise a family as much as he could to stay under the radar, keeping his head down, trying not to get noticed by the authorities, wanted to carve out a pleasant life for his family, 
you know, because of their situation, you have to avoid the Roman oppressors. So you don't aspire to grandiosity. You try to stay as hidden as possible so the authorities don't notice you. And you try to live a simple life. But more is going to be asked of Joseph. If you think back to the history of Israel, you remember that the nation begins when God speaks to Abram and says, leave your country and go to a place I will show you. And in an echo of a new beginning, an echo of Genesis, if you will, an angel appears to Joseph and says, you're gonna need to do the same thing. You're gonna have to take the baby and the mother and you're going to have to flee. And Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they take on the roles now of refugees in the story. We hear a lot about refugees in our day. In our story, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary are the refugees. This is what chapter 2, 13 says. When they, the wise men, had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then verse 16 says, when, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders. And I hate to even read these words of scripture out loud. Because as you know, what happens next is horrible. Joseph, with no context, no example, no understanding of why he needs to flee, hears again from the angel. And he responds to the angel's voice. And in the aftermath of that response, the saddest and most disconcerting part of the Christmas story follows. I don't want to talk about this part of the Christmas story because it's gruesome. Uh, church historians call this the slaughter of the innocents. We have our kids with us this morning. And yet this is part of this story in very intricate ways. Somewhere in here, this piece of the story exists to remind us that God doesn't always spare us the consequences of our decisions. Horrible things happen all the time because men and women do horrible things. And those sinful, horrible things have consequences in the lives of the people around them. That is why we humans so desperately need a savior because murderous Herod is around. The consequences of human sin and greed and covetousness and evil are manifest in Herod's ambition to eliminate any rival to his power. Joseph and Mary and Jesus flee so that the savior of the world can be protected. Lives are snuffed out. 
great pain and misery attends these events. We all wish we could say that nothing like this ever happened in human history again. But we can't say that, can we? Even in the light of the coming of Christ, we still have to say Rwanda and Armenia and Indians and Haitians and Jews and Cambodians and and the list goes on and on. The wages of sin is death. In the face of this evil which is about to be unleashed, Joseph believes the angel. He now has some experience with angels and Joseph flees. They leave everything behind. They head to a place they don't know. They escape. Everything familiar is gone. Everything becomes strange. No family, no routine, no job. How do you make a living in Egypt? I wonder if Joseph thought, would it be easier to leave the child behind? Traveling a distance with the child can't be an easy thing. I can remember what it was like to drive just from my house down to New York with Greg and John in the car when they were two and four. I thought seriously before I committed to that process. And this is central Israel all the way down to Egypt and they did not have a minivan. Couldn't they just leave Jesus hiding in the bulrushes like Moses with with relatives or something? Isn't there an easier choice? No, Joseph takes on the responsibility of saving the one who will save the world. I'm trying this Christmas to get a good picture of who this guy Joseph is. This guy chosen by God to be the father of the son of God, the human father of the son of God. And I'm realizing that this is a guy who stands up and takes responsibility. Even when he didn't create the problem, even when things that are wrong are not his fault, even when he can rightly and righteously walk away and leave the problems for somebody else to handle. Even when he suspects he could simply ignore the problems that are around him. Joseph acts. He he steps up to the plate. He makes a difference. He places himself at risk to honor God and do the right thing, even before he understands how all the pieces fit together. Even when the deck is stacked against him. Joseph is a guy who will trust the angel's words, the angel who is the mouthpiece of God. We could use a few more Josephs around Manchester, couldn't we? and a few more Marys. I'm hoping that in the year ahead, we will all get the chance, we will all be given the opportunity to step up to the plate for God. Would you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this amazing story for these parents that you chose for Jesus. Parents willing to be imposed upon. Parents willing to stand up and take responsibility. And we pray that in the days ahead, you would help us to be like them. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. It's possible that uh, the next time we're together will be New Year's Eve if you come to the party. But that's not a regular service. So this is really our last service of the year. And we look forward to what's coming in 2020. And I thought this morning I would like to end our service by offering you the opportunity uh, to present to the Father anything you would choose to leave behind in 2019. and to invite him to prepare you for 2020. And so I'd like to end the service this morning around the altar in prayer. And if you'd like to come and kneel here or kneel in your seat or be seated, wherever you want to be, that's fine. But let's use these, these last moments of this last service of the year to give to the Father anything we decide we want to leave behind. There may be pain from 2019 you don't want to carry into the new year. There may be things you've worried about that you want to stop worrying about that you want to commit to the Father. I don't know what it is that you want to leave behind. And I don't know what it is you might want to embrace for the year that's ahead. But I'd like to give you the opportunity to come and do that around the altar or in your seat wherever you're comfortable and then we'll, we'll close together uh, in a time of prayer. So come if you'd like, and then we'll, um, we'll close together in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close out the Sundays of this year in your presence, we acknowledge that we have not lived perfectly in the year past. And we are sorry for the things that we have done that have not pleased you. And sorry for the things that we ought to have done but we did not do. And we ask that by your Spirit's presence and by the anointing of your Spirit in our life, that in the year ahead we might do better. That you would continue the transforming work in our lives. That we would move from glory to glory that we would please you more and more. That we would fall more and more in love with you day by day. That we would be more and more useful to you, Lord Jesus. And we would ask, Lord Jesus, in the year that's ahead, that you would grant that we could walk in the presence of your spirit each moment that not only would we be in your presence, but we would perceive your presence. That you would shed your glory abroad in our hearts, in all the ministries of this church, in the ministries of all the churches proclaiming your gospel nearby. That your glory would increase.
and that men and women would find you, that teens and kids would come to know you, and that their lives would be enriched by the light of the world. Lord, if there are things that bind us or hold us back, give us your freedom. Break the power of canceled sin in our lives. Restore us. Make us all you dreamed we could be when you created us, Lord Jesus. Prosper your work among us. Bring healing to our families and to all those relationships around us that are broken. Do what we can't even imagine is possible. And help us to believe with Mary that everything is possible with you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is your greatest gift to us. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift the light of his countenance to you and grant you peace. Amen.